Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, where does Ireland fit into the space race? The space race, it's a kind of old term in itself, because the race is one that many of us won't even remember. It was between the Soviet Union and the US of A. And while we might not have lived through it, popular culture has brought it to us in so many different ways that make it very real to us, even if it is mostly in the movies. The 21st century version of that is being played out by billionaires and their firms. Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos obviously both have ambitions driving them out of the Earth's orbit. And listeners, you might be equal parts excited, equal parts rolling your eyes at that. But with that race happening there, where does that leave entities like NASA and the European Space Agency or the EU space program or the Russian Federation's Roscosmos and the China National Space Administration? And in turn then, is there any place for a country as small as Ireland in this new space age? That's what we'll be focusing on for this episode of The Explainer, which is brought to you with the Good Information Project team. That initiative has been focused on space exploration for the past few weeks, and they have learned a lot about Ireland's involvement in it over the decades. Joining us today is one of the contributors to that project over the past month, space expert and commentator Leo Enright. But first, the Good Information Project's project manager, Brian Whelan, is here to bring us up to speed on their work so far. So Brian, can you just tell us a little bit about this latest instalment? So for this latest instalment of the Good Information Project, we have been looking at space, the idea of space exploration, what role, if any, Ireland plays in exploring space, and then looking at things like the European Space Agency and how Ireland contributes through the EU to uh, furthering our knowledge about the universe and our place in it. And just to get us ahead of ourselves for a second, what will the next series look at and how can people get involved? For the next instalment of the Good Information Project, we're going to talk about migration. And migration is something that's in the news a lot at the minute, particularly with the situation in Afghanistan. So we're going to talk about the EU's policies on migration, how Ireland relates to Europe's policies on migration, We'll probably talk about Ireland's history of migration, emigration, and how we've contributed to the world through that. We'll also discuss freedom of movement within the EU. We'll talk about direct provision, and um, we'll really, really heavily focus on explaining just the policy around the EU, particularly post-Brexit, who can go where, who can live where, who has a right to be here. So we're going to be looking into that, and if anyone has a big idea they want to share or if they just want to have a conversation with me about it or if you have any sort of ideas of people who could contribute you can always get in touch you can sign up for the good information projects newsletter by going to the journal.ie and we're right there at the top of the website or you can email me brian whelan at the journal.ie or you can find information on our facebook group that's the good information project and there's lots of ways that you can get in touch like you can whatsapp me etc once you sign up for that newsletter. Thanks as always for that, Brian, and we'll see you in a few weeks. And we're really looking forward to that migration cycle. Leo, I'm going to turn to you now and let's start with a basic question on this topic. Have we ever had an Irish astronaut in space? We have. We've had half a dozen of them, in fact. Uh, not many people know that. But in fact, uh, because of the country's rules about citizenship, there have been more than six, I believe it might be eight people in total uh, who have flown in space who are citizens of Ireland. Now, uh, they're Americans born, 
but uh, they all qualify under the grandparent rule. So, um, yes, there have been Irish citizens in space. Uh, and in fact, Brian O'Connor, who was the head of the American Space Shuttle program for a decade back uh, uh, at the beginning of this century, Brian is an Irish citizen and has flown in space several times. I think you're right that that will surprise a lot of people because we all often see this. I mentioned in my intro, we often see this as kind of a America, Russian, China uh, kind of area. But one of the things we have learned through the Good Information Project is that Ireland is active in certain areas and we're about to launch some proper hardware into space. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, AirSat-1 is a small satellite, a very small satellite, about the size of a shoebox. But it's not by any means the first Irish space thing uh, up there. The first Irish experiment on the moon uh, was landed on the surface by the Apollo 16 astronauts uh, in 1972. We have had uh, experiments aboard American spy satellites, of all things. The first Irish experiments uh, were launched aboard top-secret American spy satellites uh, back in the early 1960s uh, because of connections which the Dublin Institute for Advanced Studies had with uh, some colleagues in the United States. They were offered an opportunity to put detectors aboard a spacecraft. It was a a kind of a sad story because uh, when uh, Dennis O'Sullivan and uh, Alex Thompson, the two Irish men who uh, had these experiments launched into space in the very early days of the space age, when they uh, sent their instruments into space, uh, the instruments came back. It was a spy satellite bringing back uh, camera Uh, film and uh, they were given their experiments back and uh, they said okay this is great Uh, we'd now like to analyze our data can you tell us the thickness of the walls of the capsule and uh, the the man from uh, the American spy agency said I'm sorry but if I told you that I'd have to shoot you so they ended up with uh, data from outer space about cosmic rays from other galaxies uh, but they really couldn't properly analyze the data because the satellite was so top secret. And this satellite that we're about to launch, AirSat-1, what is it? What's the purpose of it? What is it going to do up there? AirSat-1 is a, a, essentially a student-based uh, project, uh, which is excellent because um, it means that uh, students at UCD have an opportunity to be involved, engineers and scientists, to be involved in the development of a real-world satellite. Now, um, it's going to do some interesting stuff. I mean, it is genuinely going to do real work. It will, uh, we hope, uh, be able to detect gamma radiation. This is uh, separate from the cosmic radiation that uh, I was talking about Uh, from the early days of the Irish space program. This is radiation again coming, we think, from other galaxies sometimes, but uh, certainly from very, very far away. uh, And they hope to be able to detect this and to contribute to the worldwide effort to work out where this gamma radiation is coming from. They're testing out some uh, extraordinary Irish materials 
which have been developed and flown in space before um which control the temperature on on a spacecraft this is absolutely cutting edge material however it has its origins in stone age cave paintings the developers of this irish product realized that the stone age paintings in places like lescow the caves um that these paintings lasted a very long time so they must have used a really clever paint uh, and so they replicated the paint that was used in these uh, stone age cave drawings uh, and discovered that it was useful as a coating uh, for all sorts of applications and it is currently being used aboard the european uh, solar orbiter mission which is studying the sun well there this is so there's so much fascinating things i'm like i don't know what my next question is leo but i just wanted to go back to the gamma radiation is that a problem for earth specifically no it it's definitely a problem for astronauts who might be traveling to mars for instance uh it it's one of the limiting factors uh for human exploration beyond earth because we're protected uh, by our magnetic field from the this sort of dangerous ra- radiation but gamma rays are definitely a problem for women and men who want to travel and uh, out into space and spend long periods of time beyond our magnetic field so it's not a problem for astronauts on the uh, on the space station because they are still protected by the earth's magnetic field but uh, if you i certainly won't be going but if you decided to go to mars it would be a real problem so this uh, this ucd experiment uh, on airsat 1 will contribute to our understanding of the radiation problems i find it all very cool but i will probably stay down here with you as well um <laughs> so ireland are you know involved in sending airsat 1 up how do we get there like who gives you permission to allow you to put something into space how do you get from it would be cool to put something into space to it's actually happening well if you want to send something into space the, the first people you contact uh, on this side of the world uh, is the european space agency ireland is a founder member of the european space agency we've been there since the very beginning um, and uh, esa uh, as we call it for short uh, is the european agency for space research and for development of rockets the rockets which the european space agency develops for europe are are used now by pretty much everybody apart i think from the chinese i don't think china uh, has made use of european rockets but um, the european space agency developed the rockets and then they hand over the rockets to a private company called Ariane Space uh it's called Ariane Space because the first and, and still the main uh, european rockets are called Ariane after the goddess and uh, so Ariane Space operate the european launcher uh, family as it were uh, and um, so you need a ride on one of the Ariane rockets we also as it happens have collaborated with the russians and are using uh, the russian soyuz um rocket as well to launch payloads out of french guiana which is the european uh, launcher base it's actually physically in 
uh, the jungle, the Amazon rainforest. And uh, it's quite extraordinary. I mean, I, I, I've been out there obviously quite a number of times and it always feels totally surreal because you are literally in the Amazon jungle and they launch rockets from there. I have loads more questions about the European Space Agency, but just one last one on AirSat. You mentioned that it's a small satellite. Can you give us context by what you mean by small? Yeah, it's a, it's a, I like to say that it's about the size of those litre boxes of milk and probably weighs about the same. So they have to pack an enormous amount of technology into a very small space. As I said, there's a gamma ray detector. There is the experiment to see how the Irish thermal coating performs this Stone Age process. And also they have a very, very clever little deployment device for the aerial. Obviously, you need an aerial to transmit radio signals. And UCD have come up with a really clever little deployment device for making the aerial pop out uh, when they get into orbit. And uh, all of that has to be packed into the space of a milk carton. And I presume satellites can be any size. I presume there's not, like some of them are absolutely humongous. I presume some of them are tiny. Oh, indeed. Yeah, now they all have to obey the laws of physics. So AirSat-1, as it orbits the Earth, uh, will be going at about uh, seven kilometers a second. So it will take AirSat-1 literally one second uh, to go from O'Connell Street in Dublin, just to take Dublin as an example, to Hoth Head. Uh, it takes me 35 minutes on the bus. Um, the International Space Station, which is on the other end of the scale that you're talking about, is the size of Croke Park. And uh, that also travels at uh, seven kilometers a second. So when you look up in the sky at night and see a very bright dot moving quickly across the sky, if it's not nearer to you like an aeroplane, uh, it's most likely the International Space Station and uh, it is moving at one hell of a clip. But I have to say, just as an aside, AirSat-1 is by no means the only experiment, as I was explaining earlier, that Ireland has put into space. And in fact, one of the largest satellites ever launched before the International Space Station came about uh, was a platform for testing materials in space. And a very large part of what they called LDEF, the Long Duration Exposure Facility, a very large part of it was made in Dublin. Uh, by uh, the Dublin Institute for Advanced Study. So we have put large objects into space, but uh, this will be the first Irish object that is flying independently of, an, of a, another spacecraft. Thanks for those visuals there. I can actually make much more sense of, of all of these kind of otherworldly, literally otherworldly uh, concepts. Just to go back to uh, the European Space Agency and, and to explain it a bit more to our listeners, is it just pretty much like Europe's NASA or are there differences between what we'd understand? And I guess a lot of our understanding of NASA is from popular culture, like films and stuff. Yeah, I mean, there, there are similarities and there are important differences. Uh, I think for most people, 
it's reasonable to think of uh, ESA as Europe's NASA. And there are important differences. Uh, ESA's founding constitution is, is quite different from NASA's. Um, this leads to problems for, for people like myself uh, getting access, for instance, to pictures and things like that, because the instruments that Europe's uh, space agency flies to, say, Mars, are developed and built by individual universities and sometimes by countries, not by the space agency itself. So the space agency basically offers people a ride into space. They, they'll build, for instance, the rover, the uh, Rosalind Franklin rover that will land on Mars in a couple of years uh, is built by the European Space Agency. But all of her instruments are actually built individually by universities. And that means that um, the uh, so it's very hard sometimes to put a figure exactly financially on what European projects cost because so much of the money is coming uh, independently from the space agency, uh, from governments and from universities. Um, it's, it's a perfectly reasonable system uh, and it works, um, but it, it does have uh, odd implications. Like, as I said, I find it sometimes more difficult to get my hands on pictures from European spacecraft than I would from NASA spacecraft because of NASA's obligation under their charter to make everything available to everybody. Um, we don't have quite the same arrangements here in Europe. What is the mission statement of the European Space Agency? What did they, you mentioned Ireland as a, a founding member. What was the point? Oh, very much to develop European capabilities in space. And that is certainly what the European Space Agency has been doing and doing extraordinarily well. The agency was founded initially uh, out of two organizations, the European Space Research Organization, which we didn't actually join. So we weren't members of the pre-ESA family, as it were, and also ELDO, the European Launcher Development Association organization. Those two uh, agencies, one for science and another for rockets, they were combined in the mid 70s. Uh, into the European Space Agency so that Europe would have its own independent access to space. Uh, that is considered by uh, the leaders here in Europe to be of critical importance for our future economic development. We cannot, as Europeans, afford to have the Americans or the Chinese or the Russians accessing space uh, and us not being able to do it ourselves with, you know, without them. We were uh, the last country uh, to actually sign the agreement. And, and the reason for that was um, it was all put off. Uh, it, they were long fingering it, uh, the Irish government of the day. And finally, uh, the last day, the last hour of the last day that we could sign was, uh, was New Year's Eve, uh, the 31st of December. This would be 1974, I believe. Um, but the Irish ambassador to, to France uh, jumped into a car, drove across Paris to the European Space Agency headquarters uh, on Rue Marioniki. And uh, he ran up the stairs and they opened this big book for uh, ratifying the treaty. And uh, he sat down to, uh, to sign the treaty. And he jumped up and said, I cannot sign this. 
And they said, but why, Ambassador? We've been waiting for you. And he said, because it says here, the Republic of Ireland is joining the European Space Agency. And he said, there is no such thing as the Republic of Ireland. That is a football team. So there was an enormous kerfuffle in the, in the European headquarters uh, on that night of uh, the 31st of December. And finally, somebody stepped forward and said, oh, for God's sake, and just crossed out with, a, with an ink pen uh, the, the words Republic of. And the ambassador said, fair enough, I'll sign it now. And uh, so you can actually, if you go to the European Space Agency archive, you can actually see the document with the Republic of crossed out. Not exactly an auspicious start then, but what has Ireland's involvement with ESA been since then? We've, we've, had, a, we've had quite a, a, a journey with the European Space Agency. Uh, Ireland is important uh, not uh, because of our size, uh, because obviously we're a small country, but specifically because of our size, because we are a small country. Um, the big countries, uh, the, the really big ones like Germany, France and uh, Britain, they need small countries because otherwise it looks like this is just, you know, the big, huge um, countries of Europe uh, ganging up and competing against the Americans and, and the Chinese and the Russians. So Ireland is actually a very important part of the framework of the European Space Agency because we are one of the small countries. And uh, in terms of, as, as we know, going back uh, to the uh, foundation of the uh, European community, we, the, the small countries are important philosophically for the idea of a united Europe and equally, uh, for that reason, Ireland is considered an important member of the European Space Agency. And I have seen occasions uh, in the past where they have done more than bend over backwards to, um, to facilitate Ireland because of the importance of small countries. And, and then for Ireland's part in it, has it lived up to its uh, responsibilities of being a member? Like what kind of encouragements have the governments of this country put in place to encourage people to be innovative and I guess entrepreneurial about space industry? Well, I, I've been on the record for decades, uh, critical of the Irish government and the lack of uh, the, the lack of enthusiasm for the European Space Agency. It has been really quite shocking um, for many, many years. Uh, how little attention the development agencies in Ireland have paid to the European Space Agency. Um, and I have been speaking in the corridors of uh, the European Space Agency to its leaders, and they have been shocked by how little interest uh, the uh, leadership of Irish industrial development agencies have, have been, how disconnected they've been from, from the European Space Agency. There was, I believe, frankly, a, an inferiority complex, a sense within uh, the corridors of power here that in some way we were too small and too insignificant to really bother with the European Space Agency. And so uh, for many, many years, Ireland was not getting what, it, what is called, uh, it's the formal name for it under the European Space Agency charter, the juste retour. 
Uh, it's a very unusual principle uh, of uh, an international agency where the European Space Agency is obligated to provide as, as many contracts to a country uh, in cash terms uh, as the country contributes to the space agency. That is just retour, the, the just return. And um, Ireland simply was not getting its just retour, not because the European Space Agency didn't want to give us the money, uh, but that now, I'm glad to say that now has changed. And uh, we, we have in recent years uh, begun to get our just retour, but um, my God, it has taken far, far too long. What does that just retour look like now? How many, like, what is our return? <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely now, finally, uh, and it's, it's, it's actually, it's nice to uh, open my emails uh, of a morning and find that another Irish company has, has won, quote unquote, and, uh, you know, they, they have to compete. You, you don't, they don't just throw money at you. You've got to be capable of doing the job. And they'll certainly, they're pretty quick to tell you if you're not capable or you're not doing the, the job properly. Uh, but it is lovely to see more and more small Irish companies getting contracts. We have, uh, since the very beginning of the space uh, program, we have been building uh, parts, particularly for the Ariane rocket. There, there are several companies that have been involved from the very beginning in the Ariane program. But they are in, uh, generally linked uh, to larger conglomerates. Uh, for instance, um, one company was at one stage part of Aer Lingus, for instance, although it, it has long since uh, moved and been sold on to various other entities. But um, there, there have been big companies doing business with the space agency in Ireland uh, since the very beginning. What is different is the small what what we call the, uh, the 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 SMEs, the small and medium sized enterprises uh, in Ireland, who are now gaining real contracts. Um, in the past, up to very recently, they tended when they did get a contract, they tended to get that contract through some relationship with a British firm. Um, it's quite noticeable that a lot of the Irish contracts uh, in you know up to five or six years ago, a lot of the Irish companies uh, had some relationship with a British firm, uh, which was able to bid for the bigger contract and then give bits of the bigger contract to an Irish company. Uh, but now uh, companies are competing in their own right. Um, this is a generational thing, I think. I mean, I know a lot of the young women and men in these Irish companies who are really hungry uh, they want this work. They want to create uh, opportunities, and they are um, they are now grasping this opportunity in a way that we did not see before. What kind of work are those companies doing? The Irish companies, say, of the last five or six years, who have got those contracts? A lot of it is software, uh, which probably isn't a big surprise because uh, Ireland has developed quite a reputation for the development of software. A uh, big shout out here to the games industry, because to be honest, I think, you know, a whole a huge amount of the Irish software industry has spin off, uh, spun off from these companies that make games, which seem pointless to the likes of me and old Fogey. Um, but uh, they, they have given uh, Irish people the skills that are needed to uh, do proper coding 
Uh, and so a, a very large amount of the Irish uh, involvement is actually not in physical hardware, uh, but in code. Um, that, that's not, uh, there's a long history here. Uh, there's a wonderful company in, called CapTech in Malahide in North Dublin, which has been uh, doing this for the space agency for decades. And literally, no European interplanetary mission can leave Earth unless it's been checked out uh, in Malahide in Dublin. So the applications of this type of tech are obviously primarily focused on space, their first function. But is part of the reason to invest money and time in all of this to develop technologies that can also be useful for us here on Earth? Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah, no, the, absolutely. That, that, that is exactly the point, that um, uh, the applications of space are everywhere. I mean, we rely on satellites to an, an extent. I mean, you cannot go to a cash machine anywhere in Ireland and draw money if there aren't satellites operating up there. They are, they are required. It's part of the system. So um, your cash machine wouldn't spit out money if suddenly all the satellites uh, in space died because it is reliant on space-based communications uh, systems. Uh, equally, as we all know, of course, and this is uh, well known, the uh, global positioning system, uh, which was originally an American military project, very quickly they realized that they that this had a civilian application that you didn't just have to kill people using this it could be used for instance for tracking lorries moving around the country and things like that so now uh, very sensibly europe has its own gps system which i hasten to add we do not use to bomb people um you'll be glad to hear um it is a spe it's specifically a commercial for commercial use, uh, for civilian use. And it's actually developed, it was developed by the European Space Agency. They did all the work. They launched the early uh, demonstration satellites and so on and so forth. They did all the, the, the basic groundwork. It's now actually a program of the European Union. So um, it's actually, it's amazing, but um, Europe, the European Union's own space program, which is separate from the European Space Agency, um, is now almost as large as the European Space Agency's program. If you actually combined the, the, the funding to both uh, operations, um, you'd be getting you know, up there to, towards NASA numbers. But that, that is a separate undertaking by the European Space Agency and uh, called Galileo. And uh, it has been enormously successful and allows us critically to have our own independent um, GPS system. So if the Americans get bored bombing people and stop their GPS, uh, we still have our own. We don't rely on them. We've been focusing a lot on what the European Space Agency is doing, what the EU is doing, what Ireland is specifically doing within those. But one of the big shifts in the last few years has been independent companies and independent billionaires getting involved in the space race and obviously starting their own space race between each other, the likes of Elon Musk and, and Jeff Bezos. Is there worth in that for you? And is there, because we are focusing on Ireland today, is there something that Ireland can, you know, look to benefit from? Like, should we be courting those companies to have a footprint in Ireland, for instance? 
That's a, a, a very, very good question, Sinead. I, I personally think yes. Um, there are aspects of the uh, commercial human spaceflight uh, programs that I would be very critical of. I mean, I, I, the, these are sideshows, really. Now, these are circus acts, not uh, not real, uh, useful space uh, operations. They have some limited scientific value. Um, the Italians, for instance, uh, have said they want to send several of their uh, Air Force uh, pilots uh, aboard the Virgin Galactic uh, space plane. But um, there are other uh, projects, like Branson himself has a very interesting launcher program where he launches uh, small satellites without people. They, they are launched from the wings of a 747 jumbo jet. And um, it's a very, very good system. That specifically, I think Ireland should be chasing because Shannon Airport uh, is, I believe, one of the perfect locations as a base <clears throat> for this sort of launcher system. It is close to the main industrial centers of Europe. It's far enough away uh, in the sense that you don't, if you're, you, these rock, any rocket is an unexploded bomb. That is literally what they are. And launching a rocket is basically, you, you, you basically cause an explosion, but it just comes out the back and it lasts a bit longer than a big bang. But basically they're, they're bombs. So you don't want to be flying these planes out of airports that are close to populated areas, just in case, God forbid, one of these rockets were, for instance, to drop off the wing of your 747 uh, and land in a city. That would not be a good day for anybody. So um, Shannon is absolutely perfect. The runway is long enough and it is sufficiently far away from population centers. You don't have to launch, and you never would take off heading towards Limerick, for instance. You would be going the other way, out over the majestic mouth of the Shannon. So if anything goes wrong, uh, your rocket will, fall, if it does fall off, God forbid, it will land, literally just land in the Shannon um, if, if an accident happens. Uh, you can fly out into the Atlantic Ocean and you can launch at what they call uh, the azimuth, that is the angle that you launch your, your rocket at. Um, this is critical to um, how rockets operate, but the, you've ev pretty much every launch azimuth is available to you out of Shannon. So I personally believe, and I've actually written a paper on the subject, uh, I believe that Ireland should be competing for these sorts of launches because we're ideally placed. Uh, Leo, before we finish up, I want to turn the clock right back on Ireland's involvement with space travel. And I have a specific date. What happened on the 16th of October, 1843, on the banks of the Royal Canal in Dublin that proved crucial to everything we've just spoken about? Well, I, I, I don't know. I think it might have been the end of William, William Rowan Hamilton's marriage. <laughs> um, <laughs> The, the, the story goes, uh, Hamilton uh, was one of the most brilliant scientists that Ireland has ever produced. I, I think we could say he is the still the most brilliant scientist. All respect to my friends, and I have some very brilliant scientist friends, but he is the, the, the greatest scientist uh, that Ireland ever produced. He was uh, wandering back 
home. He lived at Dunsink Observatory, uh, which is a magnificent view. Uh, you know, it's up on a, a slight hill behind Finglas. And um, he was walking back to Dunsink with his wife along the banks of the Royal Canal. I could sing the song if you like. And um, they, they were wandering along and his wife was chatting to him and she was talking about this and talking about that. And uh, it's quite clear that uh, William Rowan Hamilton was not paying any attention because uh, suddenly at Broome Bridge, and it's now a railway station, you can all go and visit, you can actually see the bridge. At Broome Bridge, Hamilton suddenly had a flash of inspiration that was to change uh, mathematical history. Um, Hamilton, uh, a, a formula, the, the most simple of simple formulas came into his head. And while his poor wife was talking and walking along, she turned round and he wasn't there. He had stopped at the bridge. He picked up a stone and he etched into the bridge, onto the stones, uh, stone of the bridge, the formula uh, that had come into his head. And that formula was the basis of something called quaternions. Now, quaternions are important for a number of reasons. If you like to play computer games, quaternions, you wouldn't have a computer game today without quaternions. They are absolutely crucial to computer games because it's that equation that he wrote on the bridge at Broome Bridge that is used to calculate all the complex uh, motions of objects in games. It is also the same equation, uh, the quaternions, it's the same equation that uh, European uh, space scientists use to navigate across the solar system. Um, you could not get from, let's say, Dublin to Mars without quaternions. It just can't, it can be done, Captain. So it, is, it was one of the most brilliant discoveries in the history of mathematics. It opened up a whole new series of possibilities in mathematics. Uh, and it all happened on the banks of the Royal Canal. I think that's an excellent place to finish up. Leo, thank you so much for being such a good contributor to the Good Information Project over the last few weeks and for joining us today on The Explainer. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that chat and learned more than I ever think I thought possible about space in such a short amount of time. So thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Leo for joining us today. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by producer Nikki Ryan. The Good Information Project is co-funded by Journal Media and a grant programme from the European Parliament. The European Parliament has no involvement in nor responsibility for the editorial content published by the project. Thank you and catch you next time.